The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back, Buffalo Bills fans. It's Matt Warren, editor-in-chief at buffalorumblings.com and host of Buffalo Rumblings Q&A, the podcast where we take all your Bills questions and answer them to the best of our ability. You can call and leave your questions at 716-508-0405. You can tweet at us at rumblingsq&a with the word and spelled out in the middle. You can send us messages on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You can leave comments in the comments section at buffalorumblings.com. Coming up in June, we have a special Ask Me Anything where you can ask me any questions you have about anything other than the bills, about the blog, about me, about the writers on staff, anything like that. So make sure you get those questions in, in addition to your bills questions moving forward. We're in the process of adding a few more podcasts this offseason, so stay tuned for those in the Buffalo Rumblings feed. Let's get to some questions before we get any further into our show. The question I'm getting a lot this week centers around Patrick DeMarco and whether or not the veteran fullback is going to make the roster in 2019. The question mainly comes from the comment section of my 53-man roster projection, which published late last week, and had DeMarco in the 53-man roster, along with four running backs and just five wide receivers, along with four tight ends. And so when you look at those offensive skill position players, it feels like you're missing out on some developmental prospects at wide receiver, and they could easily remedy that situation by letting go of DeMarco. So let's analyze DeMarco in his spot on the team just a little bit. DeMarco signed a four-year, $8.4 million deal in 2017 when he was 28 years old. He turned 30 this offseason. And at the time he signed the contract, he was the second most expensive fullback in the NFL. Now more and more teams are getting away from the fullback, but DeMarco has proven his worth at least on special teams. Despite being fully healthy for the entire season, he only played 168 snaps. That's fewer than 16% of the team's snaps on offense. It was fewer than Marcus Murphy, the third running back. It was fewer than Isaiah McKenzie was claimed partway through the season. 
fewer than Andre Holmes, who was cut early in the season, and Logan Thomas, who was your third tight end. Fewer than Robert Foster, who was cut and then re-signed. So he's clearly not part of the plan for Brian Dable's offense. He did tie for the fourth most special team snaps on the team with Andre Holmes. He was only behind Deion Lacy, Lafayette Pitts, and Saran Neal in terms of special team snaps in 2018. But the Bills have a brand new special teams coordinator in Heath Farwell. And is he going to value DeMarco as much as previous special teams coordinator Danny Crossman? That's a big if. That's a big question. Because it's really hard to forecast what Farwell's going to do. Because he's never been a special teams coordinator before. He's always been an assistant. So if DeMarco is falling out of favor with Dable. And if DeMarco isn't going to be counted on as a core special teamer and they want to save a roster spot on offense for one of those tight ends or wide receivers or running backs DeMarco is a perfect candidate to kind of look at and say well maybe we could get by without him the Bills have several tight ends that they might try in an H-back role as a lead blocker on some goal line things or, or something like that and if they want to keep an extra lineman in or something like that they could also do that for an extra blocker Earlier in the offseason, we listed DeMarco as a roster spot on the bubble. 51% of fans thought that he should stick around for the third season of his four-year deal. But that was really, really close. He still has $1 million in dead cap money from the signing bonus he signed back in 2017. The Bills would only save about a million dollars by releasing him on their salary cap, but obviously they wouldn't have to pay him the $1.6 million in salary that is owed to him in 2019. I guess to sum it all up, the Bills can save a roster spot and a million dollars by getting rid of DeMarco, and it's really going to come down to Heath Farwell. If he'd rather have a linebacker or DeMarco, that's going to be the decision that's made at the end. Um, and for a guy that comes in and plays a ton of special team snaps, but not a ton on offense. I don't even know how much Brian Dable is going to be involved in that conversation. The Bills are going to have to keep four tight ends going into the 2019 season because of the injury to Tyler Croft. They're going to have to keep at least five wide receivers because one of them is Andre Roberts, who's the return specialist, already a core special teamer. And they're going to have to keep at least three running backs going forward as well, especially with the injuries at that position. So looking around the offensive skill positions, if they want to, to save that roster spot, DeMarco is probably the most likely person to do that with. It's about how you get on the field on Sundays, and DeMarco has spent most of his time doing that on special teams. Is he going to be able to do that under Heath Farwell? We'll just have to wait and see. And that's the question I'm getting a lot this week. Our next question comes from Ian Carmody at IrishHunter16 on Twitter. He sent in his question to at Rumlings Q&A. And his question has to do with Tyler Croft and his injury. Croft was injured on the very first day of OTAs and had surgery. He's going to be out until right on the cusp of the regular season. Ian asks, in the end, does the Tyler Croft injury benefit the Bills in the long run because it gives rookies more reps and therefore adds depth to the roster? Thanks for your question, Ian. 
I don't, I'm not going to go ahead and say that the Croft injury helps the roster. He needs to develop a rapport with Josh Allen, and he's not going to be able to do that once the regular season starts as well because they get way fewer snaps during practice in the regular season than they do during training camp and all the offseason. So, you know, Josh Allen went up to one of his players today and was talking about how he wants him to run his route a little bit shallower. And, you know, Croft isn't going to get that kind of one-on-one conversation with Josh Allen, at least not on the regular, once the regular season starts. So we're definitely missing out on that, and Croft is going to be on the roster. His his contract all but guarantees that, unless, of course, he's on injured reserve. So the Bills are counting on him to play a role in 2019. He needs to be at practice, ideally. So him not being out there is not a good thing. But to your point, that player that Josh Allen was talking to was Dawson Knox, who is the tight end the Bills drafted in the third round. They traded up to get him and has a legitimate shot now with Croft out to be the number one tight end heading into 2019 and beyond. So in that regard, yeah, it's good that Dawson Knox is going to get some more reps. But if he's not ready, you know, at the start of the season, it's going to be problematic with the Bills at the tight end position. I do think that the Croft injury makes it more likely that a guy like Jason Kroom is going to make the roster coming out of training camp. He was the guy that I thought was on the bubble. You were going to go with Croft, Lee Smith, Knox, and then your fourth tight end probably doesn't make the roster. But now with the Croft injury, Jason Kroom is probably firmly inside the roster bubble because Croft is going to be still getting caught up at the beginning of the year. So you're going to have four tight ends going into the season. Um, Unless Tommy Sweeney can beat out Jason Kroom, uh, it just it looks like Kroom may have kind of lucked into a roster spot. Now, Kroom's dealing with his own hamstring injury. Seems pretty precautionary at this point, but still, that's why Knox was in with the first team today and getting that one-on-one interaction with Josh Allen saying, hey, can you run this route a little bit shallower? So if if that can happen during OTAs, if that can happen during training camp and things like that, then yeah, it's going to benefit this roster long-term. But that's only if Knox is the guy. Right now, Croft was supposed to be signed to be that guy, and him not being out there is uh, not beneficial to the team, at least in the short term. Maybe in the long term? Definitely not in the short term. Thanks for your question, Ian, at Rumlings Q&A on Twitter. Our first question comes from Mike Servati on Facebook, who asks, what are your thoughts on the Devin Singletary pick? He's an exciting prospect, but it comes down to depth at the position and opportunity cost. Defensive end is a big need. Positional value is important, and it takes longer to develop players at other positions where we have a bigger need long-term. We have great depth on this team, so it is hard to reserve a roster spot at running back this year and may come at the expense of starting development on another young player with potential. I actually really like the way that Mike framed this question, and it has to do more with opportunity cost than it does with Singletary by himself. I think Singletary is a fine player. I really like what he brings to the table. But uh, Servati says that, you know, other positions take longer to develop, and he's 100% right on that. If they pick a pass rusher at that spot, you wouldn't expect him to contribute in 2019, but he could be around to contribute in 2020. Whereas a running back that they pick in 2020 could come in and, and play immediately to replace Frank Gore and or LaShawn McCoy in that season. So 
I, I definitely agree with that philosophy of roster building. The running back should probably be the last player that you get into the room just because they can usually transition from the college ranks to the NFL uh, fairly quickly. Now, Singletary is coming from a smaller program, so he is probably going to need a redshirt year to get kind of all sorts of set with the nutrition program and conditioning and everything else, but he'll still be able to contribute in 2019. So the concern is valid as far as the positional stuff. Um, when I did my 53 man roster projection this week, it was kind of hit and miss as far as whether, you know, the bills could keep say TJ Yeldon or Patrick DeMarco or something like that, because I, they're definitely going to keep Singletary and I don't know what they're going to do with their roster numbers, considering they have a, an injured tight end and um, you know, wide receivers that they want to keep on the roster to develop and things like that. So it's, it's going to come down to a numbers game at running back and that's going to have this ripple effect across the, uh, across the final 53 man roster. Um, I like Singletary as a player. I probably wouldn't have picked a running back in the third round of the 2019 NFL draft. If I was the guy, you know, pulling the trigger, but Singletary stuck out on the board enough for them to not take a tight end at that spot when they desperately needed a tight end. So they felt that it was a position of importance. They felt that Singletary was good enough to make that kind of investment with. And so that's just how they had their philosophy. We have different philosophies, or I have a different philosophy. I think you have a different philosophy based on the way you asked the question. So I, I just I don't know how the Bills are going to be able to keep those developmental guys on offense that they want to keep just with the numbers crunch on the back end of the roster. And it's going to be really hard for Singletary to see the field a ton, even though he got first-team reps at the second week of OTAs. It's going to be tough for him to see the field a ton, when he's behind LaShawn McCoy and Frank Gore, who are both going to demand touches. And TJ Eldon's on the field and can definitely do things as well. So we'll be able to see him in the preseason and training camp for sure, and it'll be interesting to see how he kind of works his way onto the running back depth chart. Uh, but he's going to have to outplay TJ Eldon in order to get uh, time in the preseason. It's certainly not outside the realm of possibility, but you know, Yeldon knows what he's doing, can play the playbook and all that other stuff, and Singletary's kind of coming in right from uh, from college and not knowing what's going on. So it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough at the running back position to see how it all shakes out. Thanks for your question at the Buffalo Rumblings Facebook group. We'll be right back after this quick break. Nick Bolognese on Facebook asks us, with something like 30 new players on the roster, how long will it take for the team to gel, in particular the offensive line? Well, I think the offensive line is going to be the biggest problem for the Bills at the very beginning of the season. But even if the offensive line takes some extra time to gel, it's going to be difficult for it to be worse than it was last year when Josh Allen was running for his life. Yeah, it's going to be a problem. The Bills right now are rotating guys through the offensive line during OTAs, but that's without pads, and that's without being able to really hit people. So they're not going to start seeing their first live contact until training camp. And because of that, it's going to be difficult to get a read on what the best five-man lineup is on the offensive line, and it gives them very little time to do a whole lot of moving around. So they're going to have to see how guys are, are moving and how fluid they are at left tackle, left guard, uh, right guard, 
and right tackle in the spring to kind of see where they want to put them in training camp and then kind of go through that confirmation stuff when the pads are actually on and full contact is happening. I don't think the offensive line is going to gel until about halfway through the season, and that's if everybody stays healthy and keeps playing. That's a big if, and that's a long time. But that's probably what I see. The the offensive skill position players, the new tight ends, the new wide receivers, the new running backs, it'll be a little bit easier. Um, those guys can work, you know, passing shell a ton. Those guys can work against air a ton and, you know, start to adapt to each other and, and, and their teammates and the playbook and all that other stuff. So I don't really worry about the seven-on-seven seven guys, the um, the the guys off the offensive line, just because it's it's a little bit easier to gauge where those guys are against air because they can, you know, get out in space and catch the ball. They can cut, they can run, they can hit the hole, um, even if they're not being tackled. So I'm not really worried about the skill position players as much as I am about the offensive line, like you said in your question. I'm looking at that bye week, week six. They'll have a chance to kind of catch their breath and reset after their first five games, three away games, two home games. Hopefully they'll be four and one at that point or five and oh, and their offensive line will play the worst football of the year and be ready to kind of settle down before they face the, the Dolphins and Eagles and the rest of the schedule. If they can do that, if they can get through that first chunk of the schedule, the first five weeks, and get to the bye week with an intact offensive line that is just starting to come together, I think we can expect a little bit more out of the offense going down the stretch. And that's really what I'm hoping for right now. Thanks for your question on Facebook at Buffalo Rumblings. Drew Eichelberger on Facebook asks us, how many yards do you think this group of running backs stands to gain this year? And with that said, how much will that open up the passing game? The Bills ran for just shy of 2,000 yards on the ground in 2018. But if you take out Josh Allen's scrambling, that number drops significantly. Allen led the team with 631 rushing yards, and I'm sure the Bills don't want to duplicate that in 2019. If you take out those 631 rushing yards, the Bills ran for 1,350 rushing yards. That's not great. LaShawn McCoy came in at 514 yards, averaging 3.2 yards per carry. The departed Chris Ivory, 385 yards at 3.3 yards per carry. It just wasn't a good year for the Bills running the ball. With a new offensive line, they should be able to do better than that. With a rejuvenated Frank Gore, with LaShawn McCoy getting fewer carries, hopefully, and behind a an offensive line that's willing to open up holes for him and able to will open up holes for him. That should help. Uh, Devin Singletary coming in should help. Another year of Brian Dable and maybe some wide receivers kind of opening it up and letting the defensive backs play off the ball just a little bit more should all open it up. And I'm hoping to see a more balanced offensive attack in 2019. In 2017, the Bills rushed for over 2,000 yards, but Tyrod Taylor only counted 
for 400 of those yards, and LaShawn McCoy was over 1,100 yards. That's a little bit better balance. We want to see, you know, the vast majority of the runs and the the yardage coming from the running backs in um, Brian Dable's offense. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say 2,000 rushing yards, but with fewer than 500 coming from Josh Allen in 2019. I'm probably going to be very wrong on both of those numbers, but as they spread out carries between Frank Gore, LaShawn McCoy, and Devin Singletary, it's going to be a little bit more difficult for the Bills to have like one guy that's going to be at 1,100 rushing yards or something like that. So as a whole, they're probably all going to be around six or 700 yards each with you know a few hundred yards from Josh Allen and a couple other you know, kind of like wide receiver runs and things like that thrown in. So, you know, 2,100 yards, 2,200 yards is probably the target for the running game. That would put them in the top four or five rushing offenses. The Seattle Seahawks were first with 2,500 rushing yards. The Baltimore Ravens were second with 2,440. The Rams were third at 2,230. The Panthers were fourth at 2,136. And the Patriots, Titans, Saints, and Texans all crossed the 2,000-yard mark and were kind of bunched together. So another couple hundred rushing yards will put the Bills right into the top three, where they probably want to be with a second-year quarterback. Our last question of the day comes from Ryan Boyd on Facebook. Who asks, how many years do you think this regime has left? It's obvious Pagula doesn't have a clue how to run a sports franchise. You would like to think that making the playoffs, that they have three years to get it right. But if they have another year like last year, I can see next year, 2020, being the final year for Bean and McDermott if they don't improve. They've had time to build a roster through drafting and got the quarterback. I think the leash is short. They've got two years to get something going. The playoff appearance might have bought them another year. If the QB project fails, they're back to square one and are worse off than the fandom season of 2017. I know a lot of Bills fans out there disagree with Ryan. Um, The Pagulas have shown that they aren't really capable of sustaining success as a sports franchise owner with the Sabres and now the Bills. Um, it's really hard for me to see the wheels falling off for Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. These guys just seem to have the right steps in place. When I say the wheels fall off, I mean, I just don't see a three and 13 season or a two and 14 season or something like that. So the bills are going to come in, say they win six games in 2019 or, or five games in 2019 or seven. A lot of bills fans are going to be unhappy, but I don't think they get the hook. I think they get, the 2020 season with their now third year quarterback. They'll be coming off of, you know, the second straight season without a playoff appearance. But I do think that McDermott will have the respect of the locker room, something that Rex Ryan didn't really have um, after the fiasco that went on under his leadership. It's just something I can see the Pagulas waiting out, waiting it out on those two guys, Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. I don't think they're going to do poorly enough in 2019 to get the hook. And so they'll get at least the 2020 season to kind of 
show whether they belong or not. You know, that doesn't mean that they might not have to fire guys on their coaching staff or replace guys um, on the team, on the roster. But it, I just find it very hard to believe that they'll play poorly enough in 2019 to get the big hook from the Pagulas. Um, Josh Allen might show re- signs of regression, but how far could he go back from where he was as a rookie? I mean, he was erratic at times. He ran a ton. Um, I just I don't see where you could point to this Bills roster and say, yes, there's going to be some regression that's bad enough that Sean McDermott and Brandon Meat get fired at the end of 2019. That's not to say that they're going to get it right in 2019 or even in 2020. I just find it really hard to believe that those two guys are going to be out of here before the end of the 2020 season. Thanks for your question on Facebook, Ryan, at Buffalo Rumblings. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Buffalo Rumblings Q&A. Please call in your questions at 716-508-0405. We've got an Ask Me Anything episode coming up in June where you can ask me questions about the blog, about podcasting, about anything that isn't the Buffalo Bills. That's coming up in June. And of course, we always have our regular shows where you can ask about the Buffalo Bills and everything surrounding them. You can tweet us at Rumblings Q&A. Send us messages on Facebook or Instagram. Leave comments in the comment section at buffalorumblings.com. Send us an email buffalorumblings at sbnation.com. We always look forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you.